0: People have always said to me, "Gee, did you ever find, you know, a Matisse or a Picasso or something incredible, you know, when you were junking, which is what I call, you know, what I do?" And I said, "Well, not that I know of, but I said I have things to me that are worth everything, as much as a Matisse or Picasso hanging on my wall."
1: What's going on, everybody, and welcome to Collector's Gene Radio. This is all about diving into the nuances of collecting and ultimately finding out whether or not our guests have what we like to call the collector's gene. If you have the time, please subscribe and leave a review. It truly helps. Thanks a bunch for listening, and please enjoy today's guest on Collector's Gene Radio. Today's guest is one I've been excited about for quite some time now. Mary Randolph Carter, or Carter as she prefers is the author of many books on collecting, what she likes to call junk, and somehow finds the time to be the creative director at Ralph Lauren. But this isn't a new hobby for Carter, as she's been collecting for as long as she can remember. And if anyone's mastered the art of clutter, or she likes to say the perfectly imperfect, it's her. She's got stuff in the empty space under the desk, the walls are filled with artwork, and it really doesn't stop there. But there's not necessarily a rhyme or reason to her collections, but It's more of the idea of what catches her eye that makes her a great collector. For example, the Garden Tools book she wrote or the Kitchen Junk book, both of which are hobbies she doesn't really partake in. It's not very often you get to hear the excitement in someone's voice about the things that they love or the things that they grew up around, but Carter's book, A Perfectly Kept House is the sign of a misspent life, is the perfect idea of whether you're a minimalist or you love junk, you can still find a way to add character to your home. She's still collecting each and every week. In fact, she tells me how she's looking forward to her next hunt this weekend. Being a fan of Carter's for quite some time now, it's truly a pleasure to have her on Collector's Gene Radio today. And I know you'll be hooked on her books like I've been. So without further ado, Carter for Collector's Gene Radio. Carter, uh, what a pleasure to have you on Collector's Gene Radio today.
0: What a pleasure to be here at long last. I'm a big fan. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I uh, I got to be honest with you, you were a tough gal to get a hold of.
0: <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Maybe that's, you know, makes that even, hopefully I live up to that.
1: <laughs> I'll admit it, but I, I tried every possible email I could think of involving your name and I kept getting all the the Gmail, you know, denied returns. And so I resorted to commenting on a photo of yours on Instagram, which I don't think I've ever done, but hey, it worked.
0: <laughs> it worked. Yes, here we are.
1: So you're an author, photographer, Ralph Lauren executive, and you've written a ton of books on collecting and, and a favorite word of yours, which is junk, which we'll get back to. But in your book, A Perfectly uh, Kept House is the Sign of a Misspent Life. You dedicate the book to your mother and it reads, for my mother who has always believed a perfectly kept house can't compare with a home filled with living. A really touching and special way to open the book, which makes me think you grew up around lots of stuff. Uh,
0: that that uh, that, well, that was very emotional. I think when I also dedicated, <laughs> I've dedicated a lot of books to my mother and my father. Um, the last one, The Joy of Junk, I actually said something about my mother said, whatever, whatever is, is treasure, whatever you love could never be junk. But of course, it's all about in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, I grew up um, the oldest of nine in a wonderful old house on the shores of the Rappahannock River in the northern neck, the Tidewater area of Virginia. And if you've read my story, you know that my family and I lived through two very traumatic fires. In the first fire, we we actually lost some of our family. In the second fire, we just lost possessions. And I think that that was the big lesson learned was what really matters is the people that you love and care about and everything else is basically replaceable. People couldn't believe this, but we eventually moved into this 17th century house and people said, what? Why not a a house, you know, a cinder block house like the three little pigs or something like that? But it was a beautiful old house, not far from where we had lived before, looking out on the river, and we just began to, you know, build our our home and our lives again. And 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 many of those things were, they were all collected. Um, I'm not saying all at flea markets, but um, my mother and father, my my mother particularly, had an amazing vision, uh, and and it was very eclectic, and so. We had Queen Anne chairs and then we had a picnic table, you know, that we dragged in from the yard. So it, it was, it was what, whatever worked, but it was all beautiful. And it was all about living. And it was a way to bring people into our homes and make them feel part of our family. We were a big family anyway. I love that. It was never about the way the house looked so much, but the way it felt. And so everything that we, that we surrounded ourselves with had stories and just made us feel good from the memory of wherever that piece came from.
1: Growing up, did you view your home as you know cluttered with the things or did you always have this sense of the art of purposeful clutter?
0: Well, are you talking about the home that I grew up in or my own right. home? Right. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> home you grew up in. The home that we grew up in. Um, well, first of all, when you have nine children and uh, five and, and Saint Bernards and and, right. and and ponies and things like that, and cat, Siamese cats, um, it nothing. It had to be imperfectly perfect, you know. Um, my mother, my mother and father, they both had their own business. They worked, and uh, so we all we all had we attempted to have roles to play to keep keep things. Um, you know, organized, but I I wouldn't say, you know, it was like Monday morning and there was this big, big bag of socks because we, we called it the sock bag because we never had, you know, match. We didn't take the, mother didn't take clothes out of the laundry and match our socks. She just threw all the socks in together. So we had to plow through (laughs) and find a pair of socks that match. So I would say, um, no, I mean, it wasn't, we didn't live in a mess. It was, it was, but there were no velvet, Velvet ropes over the furniture. You know, everything was to be enjoyed and lived in, and pretty imperfectly perfect. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and how does uh, someone like yourself, uh, from a family of nine in, in Virginia, make your way to become creative director at Ralph Lauren?
0: Oh my God! Well, there were a lot of st- a lot of stops along the way. You know, I started off um, working for um, Mademoiselle magazine. Um, I was a guest editor right from college. I went to college. Um, I left Virginia. I really wanted, I mean, I was, headed, I was headed to New York probably from the time I was 14 or 15. I, I, I had this dream of being a writer and, and, I, and I was and remain a romantic to a certain degree, even after living all these years in New York and, you know, taking the blinders off. But I, I was headed to New York from the time I was quite young. And so I went to, co- I, I chose a college in the North that wasn't far from New York City. And after college, I had applied for a guest editorship at Mademoiselle and uh, and I won. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Um, and so I started working for Mademoiselle. I was there for about 10 years. Then I went to New York Magazine for a year as a contributing editor, creating fashion, actually before Anna Winter landed there. <laughs> and then... I was called back to Condé Nast that published Mademoiselle to help uh, work on Self Magazine and create Self Magazine. Uh, I was the creative director there. I seemed to do things in decades. I think I was there for another decade before I got the call from a head of women's design at Ralph Lauren, who was looking for someone to to collaborate with her on, on women's uh, design at Ralph Lauren. And I met with her, obviously, one of the things I've always learned and is, you know, keep the door open, never say no. Um, and, you know, until you're sure what you're saying no to. And so I met with her and I realized, I just said, you know, I love what Ralph does. I love the stories he tells. I love fashion, but I, I don't see myself. I'm not a designer, you know, so she said, "Well, you should meet with Ralph because he knows he has all the right instincts about the people he surrounds himself with." So I said, "Well, that would be amazing," and so I did. And um, it was a, a really a, an amazing experience to meet him. And in, in his in his uh, first of all, I knew I was home when I walked into his office, which was <laughs> filled with stuff.
1: It's incredible, isn't it?
0: Lots of wonderful clutter and everything telling a story and, 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 and paintings that his children had done for him and little toy cars and everything. So in any case, he eventually, um, and actually I was at that time working on my first book, uh, called American Family Style. And I told Ralph about the book and he said, Carter, you should really, of course, he he believed in Amer- I mean, he he was a big proponent of American family stuff, you know, for, within everything that he'd done. So he said, "Do that book." In the meantime, he was saying to me but come and join my family. So I really had a huge decision to make, and it was really a year later, uh, after I did complete the book, and I went back to him and asked him if he would write the forward, and he said, "Carter, of course, I'd be honored to. I'm joining your family." Yeah, you joined mine. And that Amazing. was like 1987. And I haven't looked
1: back. Well, and it's no secret that, you know, Ralph is a collector of, of many things. And, and it seems like a lot of folks that, that work for him or work with him rather also inherit that passion to collect. I mean, why do you, why do you think that is?
0: Well, which came first, you know, <laughs> the buggy or the horse? I mean, I'd been collecting all my life before I met Ralph, but we were very simpatico in, in, in that way. I mean, so I don't know, he, you know, he believes in a timeless kind of style. He loves things that get, that get, that get better with age, <laughs> including ourselves, um, you know, whether it's a pair of jeans or, or, or a beautiful old chair. Um, so, you know, I, I think the people that, that work for him, they may collect different kinds of things, but we have a passion for living with things that we love and and adding to to those things that we love.
1: You were already quite the collector when you joined Ralph, but did, did working there and with him push you to collect maybe more than you already did?
0: No, not really, no. I mean, the thing that was amazing is Ralph, remember my, my footpath into working for him, and I, I don't want this to turn into a interview about Ralph Lauren. Because I have a different life uh, as, as Mary Randolph Carter, the author and collector. So I try to keep those things separate. Um, and and Ralph really allowed me to. And, and when I first um, said yes to him to join his family, um, you know, the footpath was this book. Um, and I said, one day, maybe I'll want to write another book. It won't be in your backyard, but... Um, and he he said, "Of course, I want you to not to feel constrained. I want you to feel happy and liberated uh, when you're working for me. So I would never say no to that." So you know, after American Family Style, I did uh, the first book was American Junk, <laughs> which was you know, junk at that time was kind of a four letter word in uh, the world of collecting.
1: Sure, and for those that that know you, you collect. Stuff that you call junk, everything you pretty much collect, you you call junk. But can you define junk for us and and maybe explain some of the more extensive collections of junk that you have?
0: I guess I feel that we imbue uh, the things that we love with value. People have always said to me, "Gee, did you ever find you know a Matisse or a Picasso or something incredible?" You know when you were junking, which is what I call, um, you know, what I do. And I said, well, not that I know of, but I said, I have things to me that are worth everything as much as a Matisse or Picasso hanging on my wall. I just believe that if you find something, and what I've tried to do with my books is, is give people permission to fall in love with just the wackiest or the lowliest object, you know, and the value comes from how much you love it. That has always been been my philosophy. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here at this little a little an old blue table, um, a drop leaf table that you know I probably paid thirty five dollars for at it, some um, flea market in New York or upstate where we we have a, a a refuge that we go to. I've always loved junk master paintings. I mean, my walls are covered with with paintings and drawings that have been done by masters of art, but no one would ever know their name. Um, I, I love primitive art and primitive paintings. And my poor husband, <laughs> thankfully he's an unselfish soul who's always supported <laughs> this addiction and habit that I have of, of collecting. And particularly when it comes to covering our walls one night he started to count the paintings, um, the art on the walls in our house in upstate New York. And he gave up, you know, after a couple <laughs> of months, that he he couldn't count any higher. So I must say, I really, that that is a passion for me. And I love to find an, a little painting and turn it over and find a message on the back, you know. To James, to Cameron from Aunt Tilly, I'll always remember that trip, you know, when you were six years old and we went to Nantucket. And I I love just thinking about the people and the stories that, you know, went with these paintings.
1: It's the best part about it.
0: Yeah. I also collected, you know, paint by numbers. I, they became, I mean, when I started, you could buy some for a nickel or a quarter. And then all of a sudden they became incredibly, you know, popular and people were doing exhibitions. And so, I move on. I, I, my world is view of collecting is is pretty broad. You know, I did, I think, a quartet of of junk books. Um, so when obviously when I was working on kitchen junk, I was particularly mesmerized by things for the kitchen. You know, even though I'm not a cook, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always confessing. Like when I did garden junk, which was the second book after uh, American junk. And people were so into gardening, and, and still are, of course. Um, I, I had to confess, I'm not a gardener. You know, I really love the things that you put in the garden the rusty the rusty old garden uh, bench, the tools, the pots, and all, all, all of those things. I love, and, and you know, I try to. I'm trying to 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 grow dahlias now, uh, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a gardener, but I love. I love all those things. You know.
1: Well, and for those that haven't seen the articles online, I mean, the walls, the empty space under the desk, the coffee table—it's all covered. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming maybe hosting a dinner party comes with a guest limit.
0: Well, no, the more the merrier. <laughs> of course, all, all you have to do is just take everything off the table and you know move move it off, and ma- you know you just have to make room. I mean, that's part of. That was part of the lessons of growing up with a large family. You know, you didn't, there was always room for somebody else at the table. And yes, yes, all the surfaces and all the walls and all the tables and we all, I don't cover the beds, but um, yeah, they're, they're pretty cluttered. But the other thing is, I, I really think if you're a collector, you have to have a certain amount of discipline in the way that you organize your collections. And some people prefer to keep them, you know, in a cupboard or on a shelf and display them that way. Mine, I must admit, are kind of like unbounded. But, (laughs) um, you know, you also have to... I I have a husband and two children that are grown now, but it would have been very selfish if I just, like, took over all their space and didn't leave enough space for living, you know? So... Creating an environment with the things that you love and the things that my family loved was important. But when they all they all uh, kind of revolted and said, "Mom, we need a comfortable." Howard always wanted my husband a comfortable chair, you know, because all my chairs were always so uncomfortable. <laughs> looked good, but not so. Comfort was not like top of the list for me. Sure. Although I wanted an environment that gave comfort, <laughs> I don't know that I was very practical about. You know, presenting comfort in the way that we. So anyway, we never had. I have all all, my two sons and my husband are very tall, and they wanted a sofa. You know, not a hard bench that was too short. They wanted a sofa that they could stretch out on. You know, and read a book or watch TV or just take a snooze. So finally, you know, I had to give in and get a sofa. And of course, there's the whole thing about television too, and. I hate I hate televisions in the way they look, and lamps are really hard too. Absolutely. But somehow we found we found ways to uh, compromise. Let's say
1: televisions are probably the hardest thing.
0: Oh, I, I just have to tell you this one story. So we have this home in the country, an old house, of course, and uh, my husband wanted maybe maybe ten years ago he wanted to buy one of those big flat screen TV sets, you know, and I said, sure. oh. Please, it's hard enough, the old small ones. I could throw a blanket over those. (laughs) So I swear the same day, Cam, that he brought the TV home, I brought home this big blue cupboard or or kind of a shelf. And um, would you believe the TV fit perfectly into this old blue cupboard? So it was was just one of those um, serendipitous moments where, yeah. Utility and romance and fantasy and collecting came together and everyone was happy. We had the TV and I was happy because it was kind of ensconced in this big blue painted cupboard.
1: I love it. <laughs> Serendipitous for sure. Yes. When, when you go junking, are you are you negotiating or if you see something that you like, even if it's $5 or $50, are you just going for it?
0: I mean, haggling, that's what we call it. I mean, haggling sure. is, is part of the game, you know? It's
1: maybe the best but, part.
0: Yeah. And, but I would never, never insult uh, a vendor, you know? Um, and if, if I felt that something they already had a low price on it, if it was, you know, $5, I don't think I'd say, can I give you three? Um, I found that one of the things that I do is if, if I'm, let's say, in a shop or, or at a flea market, and there are several things that, that I'm interested in I'll kind of bundle them. And then we talk about, you know, a price for the, for the whole group of things, but no haggling, haggling is fun, but you have to do it. You have to kind of, you know, pace yourself and, and just, just be very observant and, and, and yes, respectful because these, the people that are selling these things, they may have had them in their homes. They mean something to them. It's, Well, at least some of the the people, the dealers that I've worked with over the years that have become friends of mine, I have so much respect for them and their taste and their eye. So yeah, but I mean, it's a sport.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely sweating involved, that's for sure.
0: I've also learned that, you know, I think I was kind of a snob in the beginning because I I, I write about this that, you know, I, I used to just go to sort of antique shows and antique markets. And then one day when we had found this home upstate, um, there was this little junky um, thrift shop. It was only open on Sundays, like from 12 o'clock to four. And I used to pass it all the time in my pickup. And then I thought, what could be there? What could be there that would speak to me? Somebody else's old dishes, you know, or torn books or broken statuary. And then one day I just thought, I'm going to check this out. And I'd also at that point kind of, I'd kind of gotten very disappointed with, with, uh, with collecting because prices had gone up or I couldn't find anything that really made my heart beat (laughs) um, faster. And so I walked in and it was just this, it was so crowded and this wonderful woman named Mary ran it and she was behind the counter. And I walked out with my arms filled with stuff, stuff, with junk, with junk that, I mean, there was an infant of Prague with a broken head. I mean, there were just, there were just so many things. And I spent, you know, like $15 and 35 cents and I was joyful. It was so much fun. And that was kind of my... You know, that that's when I was baptized in, you know, as, as a junker, a disciple of junk, you know, <laughs> don't,
1: no worry about,
0: don't worry about the provenance, you know, don't worry if it's shaker. If you look at it, you love it, get it, buy it, enjoy it, haggle and have fun. That—that's That's why I have been doing what I've been doing for so long.
1: Are you the type that, you know, holds on to everything, or do you ever have to sell anything in order to maybe move on to the next thing or <laughs> make room for the next thing?
0: Oh, I wish. I wish. <laughs> I'm not very good at letting go, but um I was thinking about doing book called like doing my my next book might be called You Can't Take It With You. Um
1: That's great.
0: So you better you better figure something out. Um yeah, I tend to hang on to things, but then I think junker collectors like me, if you if someone says something to me about, oh Carter, I really love that funny old painting, you know, I'll just say take it. Because I know that it's appreciated and it will find another home. And though I do that from time to time and I keep promising my husband that I'm gonna have a flea market every summer and really get rid of a lot of this stuff. I'm not very good at that.
1: <laughs> well I, I want to be on the email list whenever you announce it.
0: <laughs> I will I'll let you know. no but then on the other hand, when uh, our older son was getting married uh, up up at our, our farm, I really had to had to clean you know clean out a lot of things and and then I felt like, oh no, what did I do? Why did <laughs> I let that go?
1: <laughs> That's always the pain.
0: Yeah, there's that pain, but the thing is you know, Maybe that's why, um, as I said to you, when you've lost everything, (laughs) you realize what's important. So, yeah, I'm looking at a bowl of glass grapes right now in front of me. And I mean, all these things that have stories, but in the end, it was just creating this environment where, you know, my family, I could raise my family and, and we could all be happy with all my clutter and junk.
1: Is it hard to keep track of the stories, you know, of of everything that you've um, amassed over the years? Or do you have, you know, a, a mental log of, of all the stories of where and when you found, you know, a lot of your favorite pieces?
0: Well, you know, I used to um, – maybe it's the Virgo in me, but I, I've always been very – I keep endless amounts of notebooks. And whenever I went junking, I would always – Remember the days when we had Polaroids? I would take a Polaroid of what I found because particularly I was sort of curating and documenting my books. And I wanted to, when I wrote the books, I wanted to remember where I got that silly, you know, daisy lamp or whatever it was that I found. So yeah, I, 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 I have, you know, endless amounts of notebooks with pictures of the things that I found, how much I paid for it, if there was an anecdote, you know, attached to it maybe I'll publish those, those books one of these days. I, I, I must say as time has gone by, you know, I'm just sort of looking around the wall right now and all these paintings and I'm, in most cases I do remember, you know, where I, where I, where I bought it, where I bought it, maybe not how much I spayed, I paid for it, but yeah. And each one, each one, you know, has a story and that, I think that's how you connect to things. You know, you 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 buy something because it reminds you of those little Pyrex glass bowls that your grandmother poured her hot chocolate her chocolate pudding in and, and had it in her refrigerator. So there's there's you know there's a certain amount of nostalgia too, I think that's involved with collecting.
1: That's funny. That's that's exactly what my grandmother used for chocolate pudding growing up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I remember, and it tastes so good. And she oh, put the best put that wax paper on top of the little Pyrex bowls of chocolate pudding, and you'd look in the in the refrigerator. I might have to have some. I have to make royal chocolate pudding. I think I think that's what it was called. But, All right, um, I'm, coming o- I'm coming over. <laughs> okay.
1: So you, you've written many books, um, a lot of which are in front of me as we speak, and, and most of them have the word junk in it. What is it a, about junk that gets you so excited to continue to add to your collection? Collections, I should say, plural.
0: (laughs) I think it's the hunt. I love the hunt of discovering things. And I call them junk, but it's, you know, it's that old adage about treasures in the eye of the beholder. Um, And when I did my first book, American Junk, I remember I did a book signing. There used to be a great sort of iconic flea market down on 26th street here in new york city every saturday and sunday it was oh it was just an amazing place i mean whenever i approached it my heart really would i'd start palpitating that that was like the guy the junkers geiger counter i would just get so excited because in front of me were just hundreds and hundreds of tables of things to go through and and discover and, and fall in love with and so I did my first book signing uh, I mean for my first book American Junk at the gates of the west of the uh, 26th Street Flea Market and people would walk by and they'd laugh you know <laughs> Junk yeah that's that's what it is it's junk <laughs> but you know those of us that are connoisseurs of junk know that it's so much more than junk because as I said we impose the value on the things that we love so it's never junk but it was just sort of a, a catch all phrase. And at that point no one, no one would dare use junk. I told you it was like a four letter word in the world of collecting. And now of course it wasn't long after my first junk book was published that other people came out and started using uh, you know, junk in, in, the, in the title of their books or imperfectly perfect, you know. But that's that's life. <laughs>
1: Something you preach is is the art of clutter or, like you said, perfectly imperfect. And you have a lot of stuff or junk, but it's all oddly deliberate and purposeful and at a time when minimalism is so popular. What are your tips for people who want to add a little bit more character to their home?
0: Yeah, I think clutter is the, uh, I remember I wrote something about that. Um, I mean, clutter is just, it's the embroidery of our lives, you know, uh, of a home. Just little objects that you could assemble together on a coffee table or, you know, on a cupboard. The way you, you set your table with mis- mismatched china and silverware and bandanas that you collected, just it adds to me a kind of eclectic richness and personality. And to me, it's all about personal style you know creating personal style with with things that you love you know i think you can find character in anybody's home even in minimalism it's sometimes the art of just one beautiful object you know can be worth 20 of something else it, it again i i would never establish myself and my taste as the end all and be all i really believe i really believe you know everyone has their taste and style but I think once you introduce, and I, don't, I think during the pandemic too, as we all were lived in our homes, well, maybe you looked around and said, I've got to get rid of some of this stuff. My gosh, I'm suffocating. But on the other hand, I think that people recognize that, yeah, that things that have stories and are, are personal do add character to a, to a home. You you can go to, you know, I won't name the stores and, you know, buy all the furniture. But if you introduce something like a beautiful old one of a kind coffee table, it will, you know, it it just it just adds character.
1: Are there certain criteria that all these items that you like to purchase, do they is there a criteria that they have to hit in order for you to to make the purchase or does it have to maybe invoke a personal memory or anything like that?
0: I think a lot of things, you know, come into play. I think there's first just this recognition, you know, you're walking, you're walking through a a shop or looking at a flea market table and all of a sudden you see something. Now it could be um, a textile that you want to add, you know, that I might want to add. I love old blankets and, and, um, and, and old, you know, cotton and linen pieces. So sometimes it's seeing something that, Oh, I'd like to add that to what I have. But sometimes it's something brand new that you've never not brand new, but something that you've never collected. And I don't know. There's just this, I don't know, confrontation. And I I have to have this. Why do I have to have this? And maybe later you recognize, I mean, sometimes you may look at something like my grandmother's bowls, you know, and say, Oh, I had that growing up, or I have to have this copy of Lorna Dune because. I remember that book in the bookshelf of that home that was destroyed by fire. And I have, I must have to say, I have replaced things, like a lot of books that my parents bought for us when we were growing up. I've replaced all those things because not that I want to recreate my childhood, but there is a little bit of that, you know, that joy from from reading uh, um you know, Anne of Green Gables or or whatever it is to your children, because it was read to you by your mother. And then there's price, of course. You know, I wrote one book of, that was called Never Stop to Think, Do I Have a Place for This? <laughs> I do believe in that, you know. Uh, I mean, how many times, I mean, I've overheard someone just falling in love with something and then, you know, her friend saying, Mildred, where are you going to put that? You know, where are you going to put that? Well, you know, if, if you have place for it in your heart, you have a place for it in your home. I've, I've always believed that. And okay, maybe, maybe you do have to move something out to find a place for it. But don't give up on things that you love, you know, because I, I have uh, there, there, there have been occasions when I sort of did a walk around a flea market, saw something that I love, kept walking by. And then as I'm leaving, why did I leave that and go back? And it's gone
1: out of all the categories that you collect in, whether it's paintings or kitchen junk or garden junk, if you had to collect in one of those for the rest of your life and get rid of all the others, what would it be and why? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like asking me to choose your favorite child.
0: But. Yeah, exactly. Sophie's choice. Um, mm-hmm. I would say the th- things that we start you started off quoting my mother. My mother passed away, I don't know, four or five, five years ago. And after she passed away and I started to retrieve things, you know, we, we, act lovely to say one of my sisters and her husband now lives in my parents' house, but we started to go, go through the, the, the possessions. And I, I retrieved things, um, that my mother and I had collected together and they have so much more meaning to me now. You know, uh, there's a painting of a, St. Bernard. Well, we grew up with St. Bernard, so that was part of it, but that she and I found in a really hot attic of a, of, a, of a junk shop in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, where we'd go in the summer. That's been hanging in my wall for so many years. And then there are things that I gave mother, like an old paper parasol that's falling apart that I brought back from our home in Virginia, and it's now in a corner in our house. So I would say if I had to get, you know, the things that I would hang on to would probably be things like that, that I collected with my mother or I gave to my mother.
1: Oh, uh, it's very special. Very special for sure. All right, Carter, let's uh, wrap up here with the collector's gene rundown. What do you say? Okay. All right. What's the one that got away?
0: <laughs> what was you can answer one?
1: this on any of the collections that you have, of course.
0: I think it was a big, what do you call it? Like a French clock that was huge. And I probably did one of those things like where am I gonna hang that? I already oh, yeah. and so yeah, I let it go and I still think about it a lot. Yeah. Do
1: you remember where you saw it?
0: Uh probably at the elephant's trunk flea market up in Stamford, Connecticut, or where someplace up there. Yeah.
1: Love it. How about the on deck circle? So, what's next for you in your collecting? Um, maybe it's a new book that you were just talking about, or maybe it's something that you you know you're going to go pick up from a store today that they have on hold for you.
0: Oh gee, I mean, I don't think that far ahead. I think I'm much more. <laughs> I think I'm much more impulsive than that. Um, I look forward to, you know, this weekend we'll be going to our our house up in in upstate new york and there's a there's a couple of shops there that i love and maybe i'll discover something but nothing's on hold everything is open ready for me to fall in love with
1: that's great the page one rewrite so if you could collect anything besides your current money no object what would it be and why
0: well money's never been an object for me because it no i mean I, it's just I, those kinds of things never never registered with me uh, I don't know I don't know what I would say I I must say well you've seen my Instagram I mean I just posted a, a painting that my nephew John Christian who lives in Austin Texas he did a, a little painting of my wall over my desk with with some of my favorite you know paintings and collections and like I'd rather have that little painting than I love. I love. There's a Georgia O'Keeffe show at the MoMA right now. Would I love to have a Georgia O'Keeffe? Of yes, I would.
1: <laughs> you and I both.
0: But I'll. I think I'll stick with John Christians paintings.
1: I, I loved it. Uh, it put a put a smile on my face for sure when you posted that. How about the goat? So the greatest of all time. Uh, someone that maybe you look up to in the collecting world, or a collection that you appreciate.
0: Oh, there's there's so many people. There's a woman named Janet West, um, who's a great collector in her own right, and she's the one that I I see. I used to see at Twenty Sixth Street all the time. No, actually, in the there used to be a great place called the Garage, and she was on the second floor on like Twenty Fifth West Twenty Fifth Street. Mm-hmm. Um, she still posts. She still she still now sells. I think during the pandemic, she started just sort of had a digital flea market. You know. But I photographed her house probably and never stopped to think, do I have a place for this? Her, her home in, in, is just filled with the most beautiful things and just lovely and curated. And I've, I've always looked up to Janet and her, and her taste. But I, I have so many friends. And, and I've photographed, I think, we you know, I've, I've celebrated them in my books over the years. So it, it's hard to come up with, with one person.
1: That's perfect. You answered this earlier, but I'll ask you again, the hunt or the ownership?
0: Oh, the hunt for sure.
1: (laughs) That's an easy one. Yeah. Most importantly, do you feel that you were born with a collector's gene?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. I think I came out of my mother's womb, you know, grasping for some funny little... uh, Bottle or tray or probably a painting that I saw when I opened my eyes for the first time, definitely. (laughs) But has it been enhanced and has it evolved over time? For sure, you know. Amazing. But it was there, maybe a little dormant, but kicking around for sure.
1: (laughs) Mary Randolph Carter, uh, what a pleasure to have you on Collectors Gene Radio. I, I can't thank you enough. And, and thanks for answering my Instagram message.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm, Cam, this was great. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Sorry it took so long. But let's do it again. Maybe when my next book comes out in about a year.
1: I would love to do that. No doubt. Okay. Take care. Thanks.
0: Happy junking. Uh, we sure will. Everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. That does it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. To Collectors Gene Radio.